Capitalism could not produce a name like Kropotkin. I'd, I'd believe that no. in my heart. <laughs> no, it, and it didn't. It didn't. That, that, no, he he came before. He predated it. We've never done one since for a reason. I believe I believe in some some nerdy ass leftist one day having a kid. Oh, they've absolutely done it. We just keep sponging them from the records. We keep purging them. We keep purging them, and they keep coming back. It's it's a there's defects in our purges. But it's like me and every dessert. Am I right? I'm the fucking around. I don't eat dessert. I'm not a psychopath. <laughs> everyone welcome to dumb and awful this is brett at relentless board this is rob at dumb and awful uh the lights are dimmed i have a drink i'm gonna try to shut the fuck up and learn about marxism for the first time Hell yeah. please god don't shut the fuck up because then i have to talk <laughs> and i don't want to do that it's uh, it's very I'm... hard to learn about marxism if i'm speaking though as you we've uh. already discovered <laughs> and then with us this week is nathan from uh mark's madness at mark's madness pod Hi, how's it going? I I yell about books on another on on Mark's Madness. So so why are we doing this? Why am I yeah, here? I what are say, we doing? Uh, we're gonna do something real different. Uh, and we're gonna talk about <laughs> we're gonna talk about books, which I think which I think is explicitly outlawed in like the bylaws of the, your guys's podcast. Look, they're not they're not outlawed, right? In the same way that like you could wear bell bottoms as like a pair of pants and also a shirt, and then just like walk around the streets and all that, like. There's no law against it. It's not something we'd encourage. Yeah, it's like wearing white after Labor Day. You can do it. Everybody's going to glare at you because you're a fucking tacky mess. But, you know, occasionally you can do it. Imagine being inside Brett's mind. (laughs) 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 So we're going to talk about books. But because, I mean, obviously we're not going to read them. So we brought in a, a literal reader to explain things to us that's the that's what the chiron says uh under nathan it says nathan (laughs) and then quotation marks reader (laughs) nathan literate that's actually a protected class in the south according to the southern poverty law center (laughs) so i think the way we're gonna run this is nathan is gonna bring us through individual books explain it to us we're gonna ask questions um, I will say um, both for for you, Nathan, and for the listener, I genuinely haven't read any of these. I don't even know. I haven't even heard of the titles of half of these. Um, I have not read any of these books, but I did get a three on my AP history test without even studying. So, oh no, then you're yeah, then you're like you've got all of them. I That's got this you. shit. Yeah, by osmosis, you're fine. Whereas I will only read books if there's wizards, so I have no idea what's now, going on. Now I'm just saying. Uh, don't 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 count out state and rev the 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 interesting wizard battle in the middle of state and revolution is uh is absolutely no here's the thing it is in the big part of state and rev is that caramon and his brother racelin have a conflict now the conflict is a class one i haven't finished it but it seems pretty wild also i think tannis half half elven dies at some point oh fucking rip yeah so we want to go ahead and kick it off 
Yeah, let's 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 kick it. Let's kick it. What's the first one you want to talk about? See, want to talk about is a hard phrase. The first one I'm going to talk about is capital or Das Kapital, if you're kind of a douche and just want to call it that name, by Karl Marx. All right, I'm interested. <sighs> I, I saw. I'm not, but let's hear this. I, I saw an e thought that said Karl Marx was daddy, and that was pretty cool. So it's. I mean, he absolutely is. He has the second best beard of anyone we're going to read today. But uh, but that's that's beside the point. The first belongs to um. Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> You, you just opened a blood feud between me and Oprah that I could not ignore. <laughs> Our next president. So capital is uh, probably, it has to be the first one because it is kind of the building block for everything that comes from here. Um, the thing about it is, though, is it's the fattest fucking building block in the history of time. Um, and it's the most boring, insufferable shit I have ever had to read in my life. Um, I swear to God, if David did not lock me in a closet and force me to do this on microphone, I would not have read the book. I would never have gotten past chapter three. Um, the The fact that we have not found a way to make that a tighter, more accessible work is uh, a failure of everybody. But at the end of the day, it is really important because it explains three really important concepts. One, how the fuck does things get value, um, which sounds like a really philosophical thought and it's not marx kind of keeps it down to earth but then he spends like 200 chapters talking about bolts of linen and coats and shit that nobody gives a flying fuck about like just literally nobody cares you probably cared if you were in like old germany or whatever right you'd think so but i don't even know if they did by that point i think they were kind of past it okay so the first bit is that's just pure normal economist talk how the fuck are yes. things create value okay well that's boring as shit Oh, it's boring as all fuck. And it's how does how does value get created? And basically, but, but that is important if you're trying to do socialism because it's going to be very different, right, from what everybody else is talking exactly. about how value works. Okay. The TLDR from that whole thing is: hey, value is created by the labor you put into it. By I, by me changing a thing with my labor and me doing changing it, that's what makes it valuable. I pull a rock out of the ground; it's not valuable. I bang that rock into a cool little looking thing. Hey, I can sell that, and that was my labor. Um. So that's part one. All of it comes from labor. And that's kind of like you should see that coming because we talk about fucking labor and capital and all of that kind of shit all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so your your next kind of building block off of that is, OK, so so labor creates all the value. Well, then what the f why? Well, then why is some people laborers and some people capitalists? Well, because some capitalists figured out that if you exploit people's labor by paying them and that's where you get this concept of like all capitalism is theft. Because in order for any boss, anyone who's employing you to make money, the only way he's going to make a profit is if you produce more than he pays you. So he's, by definition, stealing stuff off of you. Now, they'll argue that that's because, oh, well, I'm giving you a job. I'm so generous. And Mars gets to that in a minute, but my time is ticking. Um, but essentially... Time, everything we do, the length of your working day, how many hours you're worked, uh, industrialization, uh, automation, all of those things are just ways to try and get as much extra surplus value, extra value out of you so that capitalists can keep reproducing their money over and over again. Which gets you to the last part of it, which is there is no way to break that system because it's going to constantly keep consolidating itself down and concentrating itself until you get just monopolies across the board. If you left capital, if you played, the cool thing about capital is he does it all as like a, a thought experiment with, he plays explicitly by the rules that, that pure libertarians lay out. It's like, if you had libertarian paradise, 
um, this is what would happen. He doesn't He doesn't bring exploitation in. He doesn't bring in the concept that you're lying or that you would cheat or that you would steal. He just says, purely based on the rules they gave us and, and Adam Smith and Ricardo and all that, what would happen? And what would happen is everything would merge into one giant monopoly. That monopoly would fight itself, and then the whole thing would collapse because there would be no more labor to exploit. And the age of consent laws will go down, but yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's always going to be a natural side effect. Um, but the thing I've said, and the thing I've said since I got through capital is capital... Capital doesn't really need to be read by leftists. If you're already on the left, you need to trust that capital is right because I, I, as someone that's had to read every single page of it twice now because we lost all the audio one time and had to re-record the oh, whole book. Jesus. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, my iPad <laughs> fell off the top of my car and we hadn't backed it up. So chapters, fit, it's twenty. I've, it's 27 hours of audio, all of our recordings. Oh my we God. lost the last half 15 through 33 and had to sit down and re-record it. I almost quit the podcast. Uh, I literally didn't want to keep going. Cause I was like, <laughs> I can't do this again. And David again, locked me in the closet and said, we're doing this. Damn it. Let's go. So, um, but yeah, that was, that's when I learned the value of backups and, and, and redundancy. Yeah. That's what I do it. That's me and Rob's relationship too, but I lock him in a closet <laughs> until he comes up with enough good Polish jokes. Hasn't happened yet, but you know, so you far, know, I'm, let's, so far let's so give it good. time. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the last part, and the, the only part I any I tell anyone, if you're listening to our podcast version of it, or if you're just going to read the book, um, or if you want to watch David Harvey's lectures on Capital, if you really just want to like get going and get to the good shit and, and figure out what we're doing, there is this theory that you can actually read Capital backwards, and it makes more sense. Because it starts at this hyper, like, theoretical ephemeral nonsense and works its way up to the end in the end 26 through 33 are all concrete examples of how did capitalism get started and that's the third part and it's the most important part of capital because every bit of capitalism was started on theft it was theft and exploitation um it, marx calls it primitive accumulation adam smith called it previous accumulation um David Harvey, and I tend to use this term too because I like it better, calls it accumulation by dispossession because Marx thought it stopped once capitalism started and everyone else kind of thinks it kept going. And it's basically capitalism only can get its money to start and to get going if they steal it from someone else. It literally goes through chapters 26 through 33, chronicle everything from like the 1200s on of how we transitioned from feudalism to capitalism. And it was by people kicking people off already existing communal lands, uh, break just outright breaking the law, killing people, torturing people. Um, that's just fucked just up. Plain old, just plain old, do right, that no. Yeah, no, but that's the thing is that's why, and that's, that's uh, again, that's why we evolved this theory because Marx, again, would have said, well, we stopped doing it that way once we hit capitalism and we do it different ways. Well, no, it, it kept going. We absolutely keep doing it. But the only way capitalism gets more is by stealing it from someone else. There is no other way to do it. And if you want to, my rule is, is if you want to argue with that, you're the person that has to go read Capital. If you want to accept that and just agree that the people that have read it know what they're talking about and, like, Lenin and everyone after him, like, weren't just complete morons, um, you don't have to read Capital. You, you, you get a pass. You just read the Wikipedia entry or listen to 26 through 32 or whatever, and, and you can move on. But everyone who wants to, like, Ben Shapiro their way through and be like, well, actually, by your own life, nuh-uh, there's a footnote that explains the thing you're about to say. Go fucking read it. Because um, it's all in there. It's the most obnoxiously well-thought-out argument ever. But it handles the capital part of it completely. And that is all I have for capitalism, for capital. So to some, first of all, all value is created from labor. Capital exists yes. by taking surplus value from labor, um, which then yes. scales exponentially while labor 
grows linearly, something along those lines. Then once capital steals the value from labor, um, it just keeps consolidating over time because it's uh, it's a self-reinforcing cycle yeah. and it constantly consolidates over time until you just have monopolies and there's a few. Damn, son, day. that shit's boring. <laughs> On to the next one. <laughs> And so the the final thing is capitalists uh, are just stealing everything. That's the most important bit. Yes, yes, and there's uh, historical citations for it. And the uh, again, the other biggest takeaway is again the time, um, because that's going to come up more as we go on and and in practical terms. But the time it took to get from feudalism to capitalism, um, hundreds. It was hundreds of years. This wasn't like a fifty years and we we, we flipped a switch and all of a sudden we were capitalists. It was a hundreds of years process. Um, okay, so, so he he chronicles how we, how we got there too. Yeah, and I don't think Marx realized how important that timeline was, but um, modern day leftists need to because I think we kind of expect things to move at a pace that is unrealistic for the kind of change we're trying to enact. Um, but well, that's technically socialism we've been working on for a hundred plus years now. So you know, kind of. Uh, and that's it. So you look at like like you start the timer on like Russia. And yeah, we've had about 100 plus years of experimentation and we're kind of working our way through it. But that's still we can make the half the better. time that capital even us. Look, if you've done yeah. an yeah, you've done an economic do? system for like 100 years and it seems like it's not working, you got to get rid of it. That's what we've done with capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Just one more recession, guys. <laughs> The other thing that I will get railed on if I don't mention it is Marx, capital outlines dialectical materialism, which is Marx's view of going about the world. I, I don't necessarily think that that's critical to understanding capital, uh -huh. but Marx does believe that everything moves in, in dialectic cycles. There's contradictions. Those contradictions have to resolve themselves. That comes from Hegel. Um, I, I, I have a philosophy degree. I hate Hegel. So the less I have to talk about fucking Hegel, the less I will do it. And I, I am convinced that you can talk about leftism without fucking having to talk about Hegel. So I try well, to avoid it as much as you know, as, as somebody who hates philosophers and books, uh, let's not talk about Hegel then. Thank you. God. Any last thoughts for uh, Capital before we move to the next one? Uh, no, it's big. It's scary. Uh, I don't recommend reading it if you don't have to. But uh, but if you do, there are there are guides out there. What's the uh, what's the next one we're going to talk about? So we did we did Capital. We did March with the big one. We did the big we did the biggest one. Um, next up, our next book is The Conquest of Bread by Peter Kropotkin. Is this the famous bread book people are always talking about that isn't about carbs, which is fucking bullshit? This is the bread book. There are zero crumb shots in this book, and uh, uh, honestly, it, it would have made it more bearable. Yeah, bread makes everything better. That's how, well, except your waistline. It makes yeah, that I mean, much I mean, worse. Yeah, and it makes it harder for people to love you. Uh, much like much like uh, Kropotkin after reading the fucking bread book. <laughs> I, 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 I want to thank John from uh, from Beep Beep for saving True me because pimp. this would have been the moment without uh, the, the anarchists that we all d need but don't deserve. I don't I don't know how that quote goes. I don't I don't watch bad movies. I I got done with this book. I I spent two days reading this book while at work, uh, pretending to do actual things, and uh, by the end of it, I was ready to go and just burn it all to the ground. Um and 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 just conclude that anarchists were as dumb as I thought they were and move on. And he saved me. And said, no, that's actually the bad one. Now, that was the most infuriating thing ever because I wasted 48 hours of my life reading that trite and I shouldn't have had to. But now you're all going to hear about it because, God damn it, I had to suffer and so will you. The bread book is basically capital light with worse conclusions. It comes, it has the same base, which is capitalism sucks and we can absolutely produce enough for everyone to meet their needs 
with no problem. Um, the one one of the good things that comes out of the bread book is this concept that Karpaki was trying to like science out how many hours you would need to work to provide for everybody, and that equation is obviously going to change as time goes on, whatever. But assume it's kind of roughly still correct. It was like you would need to work six half days to meet every need for everyone. So like six, four, or five hour days, and you could call it a day. You'd be good, and then you could just fuck off and do whatever you wanted, and that's cool. And again, he was on the right page because he recognized the capitalists were the problem and that they were really shitty and that they were exploiting people. But we get into this fucking recurring issue where his solution was essentially, and if everyone just came together and agreed that we should all be cool, dude, we could get this done. And uh, no, I just, I can't, I, I'm not, my brain can't get around to that. Con- like that was the conclusion of the bread book is, well, we're not going to talk about this authoritarian communism. No, again, this was written after the Paris commune. But before the October Revolution in Russia, before the uh, the Bolshevik mm-hmm. Revolution, so it it knows what happened in the Commune and the French Revolution, and it really hates the French Revolution, and it should because the French Revolution sucked dick. But it didn't see any actual con like actual socialist states, so it had nothing to really say about those. So anyone that's like trying to use the bread book to say that like the, the Soviets were bad, no, no, Kropotkin couldn't really talk about that. I um, mean, or at least he didn't in the bread book. He just says, we're not going to, he literally says, we're not going to talk about uh, the authoritarian communists. We're going to address our other critiques. It's like, well, motherfucker, that's the only one that matters at this point. Cause it's the only other option. And then it just kind of ends. It just kind of ends. We should all collectively agree to come together with radical solidarity and life will be good. And uh, that's some hippie bullshit that I can't get behind. I'm how sorry. Does, how does like policy work in, in the bread book? It like, doesn't. If you like, let's say we have a little village over here and we're all we're all being mm-hmm. cool to each other. Quote Kropotkin, I guess. Yeah. Um, now I find out there's a village on the other side of the valley. They're pretty cool, but uh, they refuse to say trans rights. That village over there is going to have a big problem because I'm a seven foot tall Slav and I believe in trans rights. And I'm going to go there and fuck them up until they get on the level. What does Kropotkin no. say about that? He doesn't. He says that we won't do that, that we'll all just be on the same page and everything. You're telling me cool, Kropotkin dude. did not say trans rights? <laughs> I'm saying Kropotkin did not. He didn't say trans rights. He didn't say anime rights. He didn't say anything. He had no, he, he nothing. Bread rights. Right to bread. I'm going to say it. He's canceled. He loved Kropotkin, bread. you're canceled. You're I, dead, but you're also canceled now. It, again, there. it's a very, it's like an uplifting, if you wanted, if like, if you wanted to give someone like an easy book that they could read over the weekend and realize that capitalism sucks, you could give them the bread book and it'd be easier to get through than capital. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that, I feel like you just explained to me why it's popular. Yeah, I kind of see the appeal. And in capitals, and in, and in Kropotkin's defense, capital doesn't end i mean it says workers need to seize the means of production and we need the we need to to move on but marx in capital doesn't get to what he actually wants to do in the same way that kropotkin in the bread book doesn't get to what he wants to do that gets developed later on marx just has a a linear tradition that explains pretty clearly what he wants to do later i I know you hated it but the way you've described it sounds like it might actually so much kropotkin thing might actually be a good book to give to people instead of capital just because you don't have to. I mean, it seems like it's more accessible. It says that uh, it, capitalism sucks, and you don't have to worry about figuring out what the state is going to look like, which seems to be like ninety percent of leftist fights on Twitter. I imagine it was the same, yeah, uh, as ever. So yeah. it, it's really just it the same it's, back it's all too. the good stuff without having to figure out, you know, was the NEP a good idea or whatever. 
But you can get that from Capital. It's just really hard to read. But yeah, I get. I think someone on. I think someone in Discord said it really well the other day. It's like you can start with the bread book and move forward and start reading Marx and Lenin and all this other stuff. You can't do what I did, which is read Marx and then Lenin and then go back and read the bread book because it'll just make you mad. Because you'll be like, no, I already know what the answer to this is, Kropotkin. Why are you giving me all of this? I don't need this at this point. I wouldn't recommend reading any of them. I'd recommend just agreeing, like understanding that capitalism is broken. Trust, again, that's also why I'm a freaking Marxist-Leninist, though, because I'm like, just trust the vanguard that we know what the fuck we're talking about. We're not idiots, and we'll get there when we get there. So both of us are saying anarchist, communist, or anarchist, Marxist-Leninist, we're all saying the same thing. It's because of the fucking capitalists. We all agree on step one. Step two, question mark. Step three, communism. And step two is what we've been fighting about for 200 years, and it has continued on Twitter to this day. Damn, son, that sounds decisive. Divide, fuck! (laughs) (laughs) Next next book. (laughs) Next book, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next book is, uh, this is again, thanks to John from BP Lettuce, uh, because this is what I was told is the better Kropotkin book. And that is Mutual Aid, A Factor of Evolution. Man, he really he really conned you into reading a bunch of Kropotkin books, huh? Well, no, Rob conned me into reading the goddamn bread book. Uh, John <laughs> conned me into reading Mutual Aid. And full disclosure, I didn't fully read Mutual Aid. I, I summarized this. Yeah, it sounds like you aren't enjoying Kropotkin. Uh, better recommend some more Kropotkin. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, 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 ideally, I wouldn't have, but I decided I have to give anarchists at least kind of a fair shake, and this is the closest yeah, do it, I can do come. it for John. You know, um, he produces some great Kaiser try- work. It, it is literally, this is just, I just have that picture up in front of me of just him, and it's a, a montage of Mario Maker going by in the background, and I'm just, yeah, I'll do it for you. Hell yeah. So mutual aid, a factor of evolution. So fun fact about Kropotkin, um, he was actually an evolutionary biologist, which Hell is yeah. uh, kind of wild. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, kind of cool. it's kind of and wild. a pickup artist, but that doesn't get talked about enough. <laughs> He's actually the guy that invented "Who no. Lies More, Men or Women" as an opener. <laughs> you finished? If you finished it, you would have seen that. Kropotkin uh, took a really interesting turn in this book, um, and it was mainly. Analyze, he was trying to disprove because uh, you see it in capitalism all the time that you know, oh, survival of the fittest and Darwinian evolution, and oh, it's all it, this is just science and this is natural and this is how we do shit. Um, and again, Marx explained why capitalism isn't natural. I mean, literally, Adam Smith's explanation for why uh, some people have uh, had more money in capitalism was some people really wanted to work hard and some people really didn't, and the ones who didn't decided to go work for the ones who did. <laughs> that's it that is the thing i'm not fucking lying i wish i was go if you read wealth of nations that is adam smith's outline of what how people started getting money is some people wanted to work hard and others didn't it's so fucking bad um that's also that is also actually i'm going to insert this here uh because it is it is worth saying um if i shit on anyone on the right for any period of time it is because i was a very very bad 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 person growing up and uh, I was a hardcore libertarian through college and uh, worked for a Republican senator for a couple of years. Well, we will edit, we will edit uh, this lightly, but uh, do, do not just realize the statute of limitations on some of this stuff lasts, <laughs> lasts a yeah, while. Yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm, I, I can absolutely can be held accountable, and I should be canceled for it. But I think I fully disclosed it on Mark's Madness, too, so I don't really— and Now you're explaining Marx to people. Anybody can change. Yeah, honestly, that's pretty inspiring. That really is. That's some real evolutionary psychology. Uh, yeah. 
All right. So mutual aid, a factor of evolution. Mutual but aid. Basically, tried to <laughs> go. Uh, so mutual aid. The whole the whole thrust of it is trying to disprove this uh, concept that everything is out for itself and that it's human nature to want to you know I'm going to get up on one other guy and be the best and all of this, um, which is a really important thing to tackle. Um, it gets tackled in a lot of other leftist works, but Kropotkin tried to do it from a scientific point of view, and that's actually really kind of interesting and I, it's not something i expected out of an anarchist philosopher so it was kind of neat um but he uh he basically would show out in in nature how animals yes yeah, some animals survival of the fittest fits for but for others there was this con- you would show them coming together for their own mutual defense that you you know you needed the whole group to protect someone else and that's how the species evolved it wasn't the strong ones just killed everything else and they survived and then he, and he extrapolates that out to human society now Again, the problems I have with his extrapolation is it doesn't scale well. And that's the problem I have with almost all anarchist theory. And I have talked to people on the anarchist side about this. And most of the rational ones I talk to, or at least the ones I think are rational, I don't know, the ones that will talk to me, agree that it's like, yeah, it's kind of hard to scale. And it's mostly there as a check on authority. It's there as a check on, like... Hey guys, we need to make sure that uh, uh, we're actually sticking to this revolution. So they're kind of the they're always going to be punching from the left. So whereas like I stand here and punch Bernie Sanders from the left as a Marxist Leninist, if I got power, I would expect the anarchists to be on the left of me, going, "No, motherfucker, get closer to communism. Let's go, let's go." And that's kind of what Kropotkin's doing in this book. He's showing that no people can come together on small scales, and they've done it before. There, there were medieval free cities. There were. Um, peasant communes that have existed all throughout time like it's not a thing that people are just always going to fuck each other over that's that's something that capitalism has tried to convince us is the case but it was not always the case it's not the case in nature it's not the case in people and again you see you you see examples of this working on a small scale the zapatistas down in uh mexico Great. Again, mutual aid. They're going to help each other. They're going to do what's best for each other. But when you try like scaling it out to like the size of a country, like a whole country, and if you're trying to fight like you know an imperialist war with it, it gets a little hairier in that situation, which is my main beef with it. But if you have to read a work from uh, from an anarchist theorist, and especially if you want to read something that uh, that comes from a little bit of a more sciencey point of view and attacks the concept that uh, all humans are inherently awful and animals are awful too, and we're all just trying to fuck each other, but not the good kind of fuck, the the, the bad fuck. Please, I, I told, honestly, I, I told you my OkCupid name before the pod because I didn't think we were going to bring it up. <laughs> that wasn't confidence, <laughs> I apologize. That is all I have on that particular work by Kropotkin. Again, I think it's pretty, pretty straightforward. It's, uh, it's the next linear step it was this was in 1902 so we're kind of working our way forward in time a little bit till we get to the the good shit's about to pop off all right that, that kind of that works for me there is definitely something uh it's a naturalistic fallacy that uh especially conservatives they'll look at things like evolutionary biology and say well you know cheetahs do this thing so i'm sure humans do the same thing too or they go, well, I'll tell you what happens in nature, this. Therefore, it is moral and ethical and good, or at least acceptable, right? There's no way around it. It's human nature because I saw a bonobo do it. Well, they wouldn't use bonobos because they're pretty pimp. But, like, <laughs> the idea that uh, humans are always just assholes to each other in every context, that we are just one big nature ball of malevolence and nurture and society doesn't inflect that in any meaningful way, that's a very conservative right-wing thought and it sounds like mutual aid is sort of specifically western too it's not a thing you see as much oh, yeah. uh in asia uh it, it, 
even Confucianism wasn't built on like you fuck your neighbor, right? It seems so so hyper Western specific to think that like hyper individualism is just how how we work. That's how we're wired. And it's like that's not no, that doesn't make it. It is an ideology that pretty much everyone has accepted over here though. So fuck. I guess read mutual aid. That sounds like a good one. Protestant work ethic. Protestant work ethic, boys. Protestant work ethic. Come on. Which just is a really great excuse to produce more value for your capitalists. I'm learning. I'm learning. Look at it. He can do it. He's re- he's, he's processing. This is fun. Next motherfucking book. <laughs> More like next motherfucking pamphlet, because this is literally like a 10-page pamphlet, but I have to include it. Next up is On Authority, which is by Frederick Engels. And this is entirely designed, this whole book is a response to, uh, mostly to Bakunin, who I did not include on this list because I didn't feel like it. Buddy, we're we're not gonna give you we're not gonna give you flack for not including Bakunin, <laughs> mostly because we have yep. no idea who the fuck that is. Someone will though. Russian anarchist. Yeah. Yes. You know you know why I know that? Hearts of Iron. No, no, no. Because I was trying to do a Pokemon run where I named all the Pokemon after famous socialists, so I had to look up Russian names. Uh, I, remem- I remember. Hell yeah, that. guys! That Shit sticks, but only with video games. The beep beep. But what's up with that episode? That was. That- inspiration all, all i'm saying is there needs to be more leftist video games and then i know a lot more about leftist theory yeah i 100 percent agree i want that someone get means tv on this shit but on authority was designed as and this is a real it's real short and sweet it is basically angle saying hey guys um all you anarchists that that keep saying that authority is all bad and you can't have any authority and authority is the root of all problems um i, I don't know if you're aware of how revolutions work they're mildly authoritarian they're, you're not going to ask real nice, and the capitalists are going to give you their shit. And anarchist response is, no, we're all for violence. We don't have a problem with that. It's just hierarchical <laughs> systems are going to need to be there. And then Engels is like, yeah, 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 I get that. But even afterwards, when you organize, and this is going to come more on the ones later, so I don't want to harp on it too much here, but it, you are always – Always in the middle of a revolution, in the middle of setting up any kind of expropriation of capital, you're going to need some fucking organization and you're going to need someone somewhere to shut up and go, okay, you go over here and do this thing because they're coming with cannons and they're going to kill us. Please don't. We don't have time for debate right now. We just don't. Not right now. Look, go do that thing. And, and that's that's really all on authority is on authority is if you are really sick of if you're listening to this and you're sick of arguing with every anarchist ever who just goes ah, state capitalism, state authority, bah, cop loving tanky bullshit um, on authority gives you a lot of really good quotable material for shut up and stop being so goddamn naive. Like, just can we get this done? Can you actually do a revolution for a second and then we'll critique it and, and talk about how we can have a more perfect one later. That's all it is. That's on authority. And I love it. And it's, I, I read it in its entirety for a episode of the show one time. And it's one of my favorite short works ever. So it had to get included here. Honestly, that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, that seems pretty good. I mean, I'm not going to read it because I'm aware that I have basically one mortal life with finite time and I'm not going to spend any of that arguing with anarchists. Nope. So or, or reading pamphlets. Nope. Oh God. Oh God. You should. No, I like pamphlets. Pamphlets are just little books, which make them better books, essentially. On authority is just a really long Twitter thread. On authority is like a, a one of twenty-seven Twitter rant. You're making this um, less and that's all it really appealing comes down to. More. I, dude, I get it, but I have to. I'm just saying it's what it was. Angles would have been a poster, and we all know. I mean, that actually been. works out with a Twitter thing because I think I I didn't read all of it, but I caught the last couple pages, and he both links his SoundCloud and uh, has a a drawing mm-hmm. of a girl with nice titties. So the one to one is there. <laughs> and 
and weirdly enough, a drawing of Sterner, who we're not going to talk about because he's silly. <laughs> and now we are getting to uh, the meat. Next book, finally getting to that motherfucking meat. <laughs> Next book is State and Revolution by Vladimir. This just sounds boring. I'm going to take a break. So State and Rev, uh, how do I describe State and Rev? State and Rev is the book that finally, like, made me click with Marxism. Like, it's the one that finally locked it all in for me. Um, but I, I, we did it after Capital, so it took a long time to get there. State Revolution is Lenin in 1917 explaining, here is our roadmap for how we're going to do socialism. Here is a step-by-step sort of guide for how we, right now, have to do socialism. And on the ground, the things he was having to respond to were, one, a, a really common claim. Marx thought that socialism was only going to happen after you had a bourgeois revolution and you industrialized and you looked like England in the 19th century and it was all Dickens everywhere. And then they were going to be the ones that did a revolution. And Lenin is standing there staring at Russia, what is 75% peasant. Um, there's almost no bourgeoisie to speak of. There's no proletariat. There's, there's a heavy bourgeoisie, but there's no proletariat really. It's very small. It's like, how the, how the fuck are we going to do this? Like we have to, the time is here. The, the, the conditions on the ground are here. The people are ready for a revolution. We know socialism is the way forward. How the fuck do we do this? And the answer is you do it in stages. Um, stage one, we're we're going to need a transition state. We're going to have to seize the means of production uh, and we're going to have to use them for for the good of the people. I jump forward a little bit. He first explained what a state was, and that was actually kind of really important. So I shouldn't have skipped it. But a state, according to Lenin, was it, it was just a means of mediating class conflict. So the state only exists when two classes, this is where you get into the fun dialectics, two classes are going to have conflict. The, the ruling class and the working class are always going to be coming into conflict because they, they, they what they want shouldn't be able to coexist. They're not both going to get what they want at all times. So the state mediates that conflict, but it always mediates it for one side. Um, it doesn't like equally vet out justice. The ruling class always essentially gets what they want. And so the state is just an apparatus to control, in, this, in, in the case of Russia, in the case of capitalism, the minority controls the majority. Lenin wanted to flip that. He wanted to, if he said, if you seize the means of production from the ruling class, you you completely eliminate their ability to to exploit your value. And I didn't really get into the meat and potatoes of what means of production is, but just in case, means of production is just a factory is means of production. Like if I have a hammer, that's not means of production. Um, if you have a factory, if you have a distribution warehouse center, if you have a a army of murder bots, if you have, I don't know, whatever it is you, you have. If you have a road mic and horrible takes, that's the means of production for a podcast. That is the means of podcast production. That's at least the means of our podcast production, and no one will be seizing these from me, for my cold dead hands. You have a you. pharma lab producing Blue Chew. Means of production. Oh, yes! The one good capitalist, bluechew.com. <laughs> But yeah, means of production are the the way you the way you produce your value. The, so again, you know, a, the a factory, not not a hammer, not a plow, not that kind of thing. You got to have again, plows and farm equipment were considered means of production for this time, but you had to take all of that um, because it can't be privately held. Because if it's privately held, you get stuff like the kulaks in Russia. And we're not going off on a kulak rant, but fuck the kulaks. But if you seize the means of production, you're going to have to have some sort of transition state. You're going to have to have something in between. And that something is what we commonly think of as socialism. What you think of as socialism when you hear the word, and again, not like Nordic socialism, not like that, but like original, you know, 
USSR socialism, uh, uh, Mao socialism, Venezuela socialism, Cuba socialism. That's what Lenin was talking about as socialism. That was the first step um, is the state seizes the means of production, which means you have the dictatorship of the proletariat. The people are are in charge of, of making sure where the production goes, where value is allocated, and you're making sure that people are taken care of over profits. That's your biggest focus right there. You also need the state because you need the apparatuses of the state because when you expropriate the capitalists, when you t- fucking take the landlord's shit, when you kick out the Gusano, your, your, your uncle in Miami, who is very, very insistent that Castro killed all of his slaves and then took his farm and then kicked him out personally. Be like that. Every white person named Von Fredrickson that, says, that is a native Venezuelan, apparently, who says that, that Maduro kicked out their family and now they're not allowed to live there anymore. All of these expropriated capitalists, they're going to fight back and they're going to win more often than not because they have more resources than you. Even if you like seize everything from them all at once, you, if you don't kill them all, which again, no one's really, I mean, you know, Mao kill all the landlords, you know, he doesn't, you know, he had some good ideas. If you don't kill all of them, they're going to use their resources, they're going to use the connections, they're going to use the rest of the international capitalist community, and they're going to come try and fucking kill you. Um, you're going to have civil wars, you're going to have actual wars, you're going to have a lot of pressure Damn, on it you. sounds like we should do it, uh, you should do socialism then with some form of internationalism, and maybe have like a permanent revolution. These are just two, <laughs> I'm just throwing out thoughts here, I don't know what I'm talking about, continue. I'm, you're throwing out thoughts, I'm throwing out ice picks, we're all just throwing things out, we'll just see where they land. We'll see where they land. We'll Directly see how it goes. in the cranium. <laughs> <laughs> if our aim is true. So you're going to have a lot of, you're going to need that state apparatus because that's what allows you to enforce. Again, if the state only exists to enforce one class's will over another, now we're using the state to enforce the majority's will over the minority, the 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 people, the working class, the 99%, whatever you want to call them. They're the ones who the state will be working for. And again, in Lenin's conception of it, they are directly beholden to the people. You are a direct recall at any time. Um, that level of it, it should be that much direct democracy, essentially. And you you work that up at whatever, you know, your local levels for them. It was the Soviets. Um, in China, you have the mass line. In Cuba, you just have very good direct local democracy. Th- these should be very democratic, very open ways of handling it until you no longer need the state. And that's the other part of it is so you're going to use the state to defend yourself and slowly try and do communism everywhere else you're going to help your neighbors you're going to go international you're going to try and make sure everyone else has the means to do their own revolution and you know make their own way in the world and then slowly but surely if this goes now again this is the problem this is where i talked about that timeline earlier it's going to fucking take a while we have found out this isn't going to happen overnight but what will happen is it's what's known as the state will wither away. This is where you get that concept of the state will wither away. Once you have eliminated the capitalist class and you've gone so many generations that the concept of capitalism doesn't exist anymore and you've been doing socialism so long and you have gotten to a high enough level of production that everyone's needs are met, the state's not going to need to exist. It will slowly start to die off because there it, it there is no if the state only exists to mediate class conflict and you slowly eliminate classes over generations you don't need a state and the state will die and that's the hard hard difference between anarchists and communists anarchists and marxist leninists and maoists at least is the anarchists really want to get to that part where there's no state but they don't think you need this transition period to get there and they think the transition period will just lead to more repression and sometimes they're right and in that case, you need to fucking revolt again and start this whole process over again and keep going until you get to the end goal. Um, but that's really what he got to in State and Revolution. So 
his end goal is to just reach the anarchist end goal as yes. well. Though. Anarchists, communists, MLs, all of us. Oh, that's so we, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. Go to just general Twitter then, and uh, and and watch anarchists and communists and everyone fight like we are uh, bitter enemies, and then realize we all have the exact same end goal in mind. It's it's kind of bizarre, and it's it's what it's what gives me hope. It's why when I talk to John and stuff, it's like no, we all want to get to the same place. We just have different tactics for how we're going to. I mean, get it there. does make some sense if every quote unquote state is communist, then the sort of like artificial bounds of a country don't really matter as much. Hundred percent, and that's that's more of what you get into with the what's known as the national question, which we are going to get to in a further world. One, one, one quick question here. Oh please, uh, if the state erodes does that mean that uh, the centrally planned economy also fades away like how do we get goods and services to to everyone uh i think the long-term answer to that is when you do it for long enough over a long enough period of time that that way that the need for central planning kind of goes away you're going to know what you're going to need to plant because you've done it for a hundred years and you can kind of predict where everything's going to need to yeah, go but in florida we um, have oranges and no apples and up here in new york they have apples and no oranges and how the fuck do i get each yeah. fruit to the other place well well the, now in 1917 that was a legitimate hurdle nowadays we have the internet so I'm I'm just gonna get someone in 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 New York Discord and go, yo, do you have some of those good good oranges um, or apples? I've I've got my oranges down here. You want to you want to move them around? Yeah, but what if um, they go? We gave again, all of our is- we gave all of our apples to someone I like more than you, and then Florida goes, well, fuck you. What happens then? Who mediates well, yeah, that? Yeah, but then Florida goes, you know, I think the theory is is that then if you're still at the level, and this is where, so when Marx wrote. The concept of what Lenin was seeing was a fantasy to Marx. So, like when Marx was writing the Russian Revolution, he could not have envisioned what that would look like. He 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 literally couldn't have because it, it nothing like it had ever happened. When Lenin wrote, and what we're talking about now, I can't envision what that stateless state is going to look like because I've never seen it. No one's ever seen it. I have no idea what that's going to look like. That's the end goal, and it's supposed to happen over a very very long period of time. Um, the short answer is I don't think anyone has a good answer for what that what, what that's going to look like because we don't know what the technology is going to be at that time or how after you've expropriated capital and you can actually produce enough for everyone to be satisfied and not need things. How are you going to what are you going to do? How is that going to look like? like? Do I need apples? No, I'll just eat my oranges. I'm fine because I only have to work five hours a day, six days a week. I'm I'm OK. I'm chill. I don't I don't really need an apple cobbler to feel OK. I'll, I'll just chill down here in Florida. I, I would just say yeah. as obviously the, the, the dumbest, least well-read person on the shit here, that seems like a massive weakness. Like it gets state withering away to a degree, but like it feels like we should have a. Mm-hmm. A, a better vision we can paint for what that looks like. Yeah, this feels a little bit like uh, yeah. the technologists that go, "Well, we'll solve climate change because you know, like humans will come <laughs> up with a good plan, and we can't even imagine what it'll be, but it'll probably be yeah. like cold future." So anyway, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it too much. Yeah, that's not super inspiring. No, I mean, I do get them saying like no. getting to the point where we've turned everybody socialist is so far in the future. Let's work on that now. Like, yeah, okay, that's all right, fair. Yeah, but that does feel like a little bit of a gap. It is, and it's hard. It's really, and if somebody, like I said, if someone's listening and they have a better vision of it, that if there's someone has theorized a way that does it, that that has the absolute answer. I think, I think the real just answer is, is they don't know. They really, genuinely, the how that's going to evolve once we've gotten there, we don't know. Right now, if all I got to was the regular, I got everyone on the socialism phase, 
in my head, I don't I, I really don't care about the next school. And that's that probably makes me bad at this, but if if all I got to was the lower stage of co- of communism, which is what they call socialism, where the people own the means of production, we're producing enough to meet everyone's needs and ev- there is no more capitalists in the world. I don't really fucking care what the rest of it looks like. I don't. I genuinely don't. I hope that somebody after me will, and they'll keep working to perfect that, and we'll have anarchists on the left going, fuck no, we need this a little more freer. We need this a little more, you know, you, you know, utopian. Let's go. I, I, They'll push, and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, they'll be a theorist like Lenin at the time. But the problem with revolutionary theory is it only really gets to work itself out when you can have a revolution. Um, that's like, you know, you had Marx and then you had this almost hundred year gap between when Marx wrote and when you actually get the first socialist revolution in Russia. And then you have a couple really like boom, 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 back to back. You, know, you have Russia and then you have China and then you have Vietnam and Cuba. Um, but we haven't really had a whole lot since then. And we kind of need mostly what I think we need is we need one to happen in a major industrialized, already industrialized country. And that's what we're going to have here in America. And that's what's going to be. If we get one in America, it's going to be completely different than it was anywhere else, and that's because we adapt to our material conditions. But that is vaguely comforting. State rev was actually a- that's vaguely comforting because it, it explains, it, it shows that like we've been trying to make the project work on less than ideal conditions already, and we've had some results, right? So as we advance oh, yeah. through the fucking disaster for humanity that was the industrial revolution in our particular timeline, at least. Like, you have to imagine we're going to have more luck going forward. Also, class consciousness is easier to impart than ever because capitalists are really heightening the contradictions and and mass communications, though not mass media, uh, is really on our side. So, I don't know. Next book is Imperialism, which is also by Lenin. The uh, full title is Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism. Damn, son. Where'd you get that imperialism? Vladimir Lenin. (laughs) well you get that imperialism from fucking banks um hey guys spoiler alert banks suck i Uh, fucking told you that and uh yeah most people can it's uh it's super it's super obvious on its face but in imperialism was lenin's major addition to what marx was talking about and that was marx couldn't foresee he saw colonialism but he didn't see imperialism because imperialism is when you are literally exporting capital. You are just taking money and making your money make money for no reason. And when that starts happening, that starts rapidly uh, accelerating the gears of capitalism because it accelerates consolidation where you get, again, this and this was the wild one to me when I read it because Lenin, again, 1918, this is where he starts getting like weirdly nostradamus because he's talking about shit that you absolutely are seeing happening now. But he's talking about it with companies that existed still then. You have U.S. Steel, uh, Standard Oil, all these guys, AEG over in Germany, GE, all of these major American companies and all of these major European companies that are, are still major forces behind the scenes. Unilever, holy shit, Unilever, go get fucked. Um, <laughs> all of these companies are, he starts talking about, he says, hey, look. All you need is to manipulate the way you control stocks in certain countries and how that affects your ownership rights. And then you can slowly consolidate your capital to a point that you are no longer impacted by any of the negative effects of capitalism. So the, the standard boom-bust cycle that would that, that is supposed to level off capitalism, if you listen to you know capitalist apologists, it only becomes booms for you. If it busts, awesome. You buy up all the small businesses, consolidate even more, build your base up, and then 
you erupt up and you're bane capital again. Um, and you keep doing that over and over and over and over again. And if that goes on a long enough timeline, everything merges into one. This is again, Lennon was predicting this in 1917. He said, Yeah, the, the basic concept of buy low, sell high only works if you have capital to do the buying and selling at those times. If you have the freedom and luxury to do it at the best times, which is capitalism. And, it, and if you do that over a long enough timeline, eventually you end up with three, four, a handful, a very, very small, maybe you could call them 1%, I don't know, um, of the population that control everything. They have their hands in banks, and once you have your hands in the banks, IMF and World Bank prove this really well, um, you can just dictate other countries' other countries' policy. You can make them do what you want. You can extract resources from them, and you can keep them under control without any need for anything else. But this this desperate grab for resources when there's only so many of them is what naturally leads to war. Imperialism was written as a response to World War One. Lenin saw World War One breaking out, and at the time, everyone was saying, guys, capitalism and colonialism, that's what's going to stop wars, because no one would want to interfere with profits to go to war. That would be silly. Uh. But at the end of the day, the imperialists only have so much of that pie to cut up, and I have played the real-life simulator known as Civilization or Hearts of Iron 4, whatever you want to play. Um, uh-uh, oh, yeah. no, they're going to fight. They're going to fucking fight for those limited amount of resources, and they're going to kill each other, and that's a contradiction that's going to have to have to resolve itself. And so imperialism is literally Lenin showing, look, if you let these go, they're going to consolidate themselves down to the point that there's only one major company or one or two companies owning an entire industry. You'll never be able to challenge that hegemony, and all they will do is slowly but surely extract as much capital as they can until the whole system collapses in on itself. And we're right at that point where it's gonna kind of collapse in on itself he really dunks on the concept on these reformist concepts carl kautsky is like his favorite dunk like, he just fucking rips that guy relentlessly um because he's a horrible piece of shit and no one should like him but kautsky's whole thing was like oh well, you can reform it from within it'll be okay guys let's do a good old electoralism and we can just write enough law. he was the elizabeth warren of of 19th century europe and it, he just he deserves all the hate he gets that's about it on imperialism. That's 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 literally. I mean, imperialism was just Lenin. Expl- Lenin basically was able to very clearly explain what was going to happen over the long term if this kept going. He explained where capital was headed, and he showed the very. He showed before all of these mergers, before AT and T owned every other fucking media company in the world. Lenin predicted it, and I think that's the work's important because again, it is very much a. He was pretty good at theorizing shit. He, he he saw this shit coming. Maybe the other shit he thought was also probably good, too. Vladimir Lenin, pretty good at theorizing shit. <laughs> the best at theorizing shit, if you ask me, but I'm, I'm biased. Vladimir Lenin, Woo! my bias and also my maknae. <laughs> Rest in peace to a king. <laughs> All right, next book. Next book is a two-parter. It is Left-Wing Communism and Infantile Disorder. And what is to be done? Who's it by? It is by, spoiler alert, Lenin. More All right. Lenin. All right, let's get into it. Last Lenin book. Last Lenin book. Lenin is Lenin gets a lot of run here because Lenin is one of the few guys that actually did a socialist revolution and wrote a hell of a lot of books about it. I heard it. he's a good writer, too, like just as a stylist. Like his prose is oh, good. Oh, he is... It, it, one, it's tight as shit. He edits his stuff down like perfectly, and uh, and yeah. Oh, he's he's got Twitter dunks for days, and all of his shit just makes you want to get up and start punching people. It is the best. Oh, it's such good. Stuff writing. seems like it's really, a lot really more is. practically based too, which is nice. 
just based on what you're saying, it's like entire... a lot of the early stuff we talked about seemed very much like, all right, here's the concept. And it's like, all right, so if I agree with this mm-hmm. concept, do I need to read an entire fucking book about it? Well, probably not. Nope. Um, nope. Right. It, nope. It's like reading an entire math proof when they're like, hey, the end result is, uh, you know, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. And it's like, all right, no, I can just agree with that bit. I don't need a whole fucking proof for this shit. Brett walking into a, a mathematics classroom, just like, what's all this bullshit numbers <laughs> on the chalkboard? <laughs> hey, is Pythagoras <laughs> right or not? I got shit to do. <laughs> Wrap this up. Yeah, yeah, combinatorial, whatever the fuck. I got to get out of here. Uh, Millennium Prize, please. <laughs> Pythagoras was a weird-ass dude. He had, like, a weird bean cult. He wouldn't let people, like, look him in the eyes. Pythagoras is fucked up. I don't know if we should trust yeah, him. Yeah, and math- mathematicians uh, today are, are totally cool and normal. Alpha chads, baby. <laughs> mathematicians. Yeah, same as it ever was. <laughs> look, you would not want to be in a room with fuck. Euclid, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> So, left-wing communism. This one is another one that's going to be uh, going to be fairly short. Um, left-wing communism, you only want to read this if you doubt why we need a party. So, left-wing communism is dunking on people that literally just... Brett, you were kind of talking about how all of the this stuff we we're just talking about seems, like, practical, and the early stuff seems theoretical. Mm-hmm. There's this, like, really distinct trend on the left of, like, I need the purest theory, and it has to be 100% accurate all the time in all situations, or it's not useful. And uh, all left-wing communism and infantile disorder is, is calling those people assholes. Um, because it's really just, look, we're doing a revolution that requires you to interact with your material conditions. So, um, your tactics are going to need to change. Um, stop being dogmatic. Uh, if you want to, you, you're going to need a party. And you're not going to need a party so that you can platform Democrats like the, the fucking DSA. You need a platform to, you need a party to platform your own people. You want radicals. Your whole goal all the time, radical. Everything I do. So does that mean I'm participating in democracy right now? Am I participating in electoralism? Am I boycotting it? Am I am I doing uh, illegal action? Am I doing insurgent action? Am I just doing peaceful protest? Am I just educating? What is the thing right now that's going to advance my cause? And that's this is where you get that concept of the vanguard. Literally, these two books explain what the fuck is a vanguard party. And all oh, it is is finally unique. somebody explains a fucking vanguard yeah. idea. Thank God. The vanguard is literally just we look, we need an organized group of people whose job it is to be good at this. They need to know what the fuck's going on. They need to have read all this shit. They need to be able to to kind of give some direction when this shit pops off because if you just expect it to happen spontaneously and then it's just going to naturally evolve and do its thing without any direction, that never fucking yeah, works. Yeah, I was at Occupy. It Hard ne- confirm. That's it's that literally left wing communism is the biggest critique. The Vanguard Party is Occupy is like the biggest example. And I, I feel I feel hard using it because I wasn't there. But I was talking to Bryn from Beep Beep, who was also at Occupy. And and I, I just for part of my head, like I'm just imagining that you two were both there and just standing across from each other and didn't know it. And then in the video, in, in the movie version of when we're all we've we've all done the revolution, there, there's going to be a scene. And that's like a montage. Like, yeah, young Rob, young Bryn. Yeah, Bryn's there. like, bro, this guy um, can't drum for shit. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Um this will get cut so it should but I god I'm obsessed with Bryn's band right now. It's so fucking good. I did not know I needed that in my life. Definitely do not like, need to oh, cut someone... that. Uh mutual aid. I learned about that 10 minutes ago but I'm all about it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Stay inside. Go listen to it. Holy shit. You guys can go see it. You're actually there. Holy fuck. Go What's, go what's wh- the band called? Stay inside. It's good advice and also a good band. They're so 
fucking good. Like it's like it's like a weird hybrid of like like Sunny Day Real Estate and Taking Back Early Taking Back Sunday. Oh, oh shit! That's yeah, I had no, to say. say no more. Oh. <laughs> oh, so good. So I've literally been listening to it on repeat all day at work. It's so good. But yeah, left wing communism in Talisor, you need a vanguard. You need a vanguard because you need a group of people that when everyone shows up at Occupy, because anarchists are really good at that, they can get everyone together. They'll get some tents up. They'll make sure everyone's getting fed. They run food, not bombs. They do all this kind of really great on the ground, practical in the moment shit. But you need someone that's like, hey, and now we're going to go here, here, and here. We're going to go blow that shit up. We're going to go take that. And then we're going to literally hold a bayonet to them until they give us what we want. And here's why. Social shock troops. Yes. It's exactly what uh, it that is. That sounds very fash. Uh, uh, well, you need, if you don't have a vanguard party, what happens is you get these power vacuums and the fash love power vacuums. They have a guy who will step up and who will be, and that's why, again, Brett, when you talk about it all the time, and this is, again, I get in debates with David about this all the time. I'm like, this is a role that anyone who's been in the military this is why I love having them on the left because that kind of like, all right, we got to organize some shit and we're going to do in this or like having that sort of like organizational um, drilled into you is you is incredibly useful when you need a vanguard party that's going to have to do a lot of different things. And one of the things they do is organize defense. I mean, honestly, Just what, straight what you're talking about is the difference in a professional army and a volunteer army and the volunteer army. Everyone always prefers because then it means they're not hanging out. But having a professional army, if you know shit's coming up, is always better. If you're pretty sure something's going to pop off soon, having somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're doing, even if it's small, it doesn't need to be a huge group, really. I'd just like to point out the no. American Revolution only worked because we imported in professional people like Kazimir Pulaski who were like, yo, let me show you how to ride this motherfucking horse. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, it's everywhere. I mean, it's it's again. You you have, and again, we're gonna get to a book that shows you know you can do it. But you 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 have to have the vanguard is there too. The vanguard strictly exists as a group of people who are supposed to know what the fuck's going on, be able to articulate that because everyone that shows up, I. You have to work 80 hours. You don't have fucking time to read theory. You don't have time to understand what's going on, but you know you're pissed. Yeah, so the, the Vanguard party knows which hill to take. So you show up and you're like, bro, I want to fuck yes. some shit up. And they're like, great, that's where you're going. Go that direction. You do it over there. You go that mm -hmm. direction. All right, let's do this shit. And when we take over, they're the ones that know, okay, well, we need the factories to produce this much stuff because we need you have engineers and stuff. That, all right, we need this many things done here. You just You need people who this is what they're focused on. The best modern example of this were the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers recognize that if you provide for people's material conditions and allow them to not worry about dying on a moment's notice and let them commit themselves to this kind of action, you can get some shit done. And you don't have to be some you're not gonna you don't have to poach. That's the thing is Lenin and and again, we, we can go down the whole of the USSR and what was right and wrong and not about it. But again, when you're pulling in opportunists you're going to run into problems because th there are some people that just want a cushy job and they want to sit there and do their thing and they don't want to have to fight for it. Mm. Um, your, your Vanguard party is there to hopefully keep that in line, hopefully make sure that you're staying true to what you're supposed to be doing, staying on the course, but they're, they're just the party. Just think of it as we don't have a viable party in this country. All of us Gumby leftists in the world, we don't have a fucking party we can go to. Right now, there's just no apparatus for it, and no one's providing for that. Um, you have a lot of conflicting institutions, but if your plan is run Democrats or run on Democratic tickets to kind of try and get in, that obviously, I mean, we've been trying that forever. That, that's not going to work. 
Um, we need a dedicated party that is strictly committed to the revolution and whatever that ends up being, whatever form that ends up taking. Um, and that's really what left-wing communism and infantile disorder is all about. It critiques the people that just want to be idealists and don't want to take care of practical reality um, and shows the real need for what your vanguard party is going to be there to do. Nice. Next book. Uh, that's the most interesting Next one book. by far. I fucking like that one. Yeah, some of them are fun. Okay, so we're, we're done with Lenin. We are kind of done with Done Lenin. with Lenin. What are we, the, the Trotskyist party? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that makes sense. Oh. Yeah. I don't know either. No. Nope. <laughs> Robin and I both looked at each other and were like, oh. <laughs> really, the, the, this right. is Marx Madness's effect on me. It's the first time I've ever asked myself if a riff made sense. <laughs> Normally not a concern for me. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So uh, uh, next book. Our next work. Foundations of Leninism. Okay. So we're not entirely done with Lenin. I, I see what you're trying to say there. I'm a, I, yeah, I'm a filthy I'm a filthy liar. Foundations of Leninism, not written by Lenin. It was written by Stalin. Um, moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is the one that's going to be mildly controversial because yeah, uh, buddy. Anytime you talk, you're, you're, yeah. if you think you made it this far without angering leftists, I got news <laughs> for you. You're gonna want to you yeah, want to deactivate no, this... the account for the next week. <laughs> yeah yeah i'll go i'll go i'll go into hiding for a while no no foundation but foundations of leninism again whether you agree or disagree with Stalin, i mean pretend Stalin didn't write it this is not this is literally and, and you're gonna see it as we go through this is this should synthesize all the things that we've talked about in all the other lenin books it just put it in a much more easy to understand format and it, and it formalized some of it and added some more stuff after lenin had died um so leninism is it's different from marxism leninism got critiqued at the time as it was just marxism but for russia because marxism was always seen as well marxism is going to happen marx thought marxism would happen in the industrialized countries first he thought britain and germany were going to be the ones to go marxist um he thought they were going to be the ones to fall and then he thought America would be next. He had no, he had no, he, had, he didn't think it was possible to have this kind of a revolution without first going through industrialization. I mean, he was and kind of right. Germany did fall first. They just went the other direction. Exactly. Because uh, you can go one way or the other, and we're going to have a choice to make pretty soon here, guys. <laughs> um, but no, it's so Lenin, a lot of people critique Lenin and say, well, this is, he just applied Russia, he just applied Marxism to Russia. He didn't really do anything unique. He just applied it there. And the first thing Stalin said was, fuck no, that's not what he did. It's the, Leninism is Marxism in the age of imperialism. Leninism is Marxism once imperialism has fully kicked in, which is what we talked about in imperialism. Um, and there are specific contradictions at play there that Leninism had to resolve. So the first one was capital and labor. Those are mutually exclusive. Capital and labor are never going to coherently coexist. They need each other. But each of them wants to destroy the other. Sounds one. like and all that's my relationships. I like it. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, then you have the imperialist powers and their conflict over resources. We kind of talked about this back in the Hearts of Iron section. Um, you're you're going to carve up the world into imperialist zones, and everyone's going to say, "Okay, you should have to be happy with what you have." And then the Reichstag's going to not be happy with what they have, and they're going to come and start a fucking little bit of a tiff, and then we keep fighting. The, the Reichstag, a little bit of a tiff in, in the imperialist <laughs> zone, the shittiest Sonic the Hedgehog map. <laughs> Section 4.14, it's, it's deep, it's in the deep hacks, it's in the deep, deep ROM hacks. 
and your last contradiction was between the quote unquote civilized world, the first world, whatever you want to call it, and colonized countries. Um, civilized countries would exploit always exploit colonized countries to extract resources and because you would run out of labor in your home market so you had to start importing shit or you would you would get pissed off peasants and they would revolt well, so a, let's go colonize some brown that's people that's 100% accurate yep um leninism was a response to those contradictions so what 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 is this method what made it unique well leninism it, it pushed back we had the second international um and you guys are familiar with that cuz i've seen hearts of iron streams you know there were internationals people got together they argued about shit they were almost always wrong yeah, Hearts of Iron did the teach me about this, that. Exactly. Um, the the Second International was very big on this concept. Again, it was a Kautsky-driven thing, but we can legislate away capitalism. If we just if we just make the right rules and the right policies, we can get rid of capitalism and legislate our way to socialism. And it was very revisionist. They were trying to basically go back and make Marx all touchy-feely and take away the bite in him. It's what you do to every revolutionary when they die. Um, we haven't gotten there with Lenin yet, but like MLK is a really great example yep. of this. You take all of the edge off of these revolutionaries and try and like sanitize them into touchy-feely just the positive shit, not anything revolutionary about them. If if you if you make them pariahs, and it's what I think happens a little bit with London, there you get this like cult following almost. You get this this well, okay, I'm told I shouldn't like this, so I'm going to investigate this more. If you make them touchy feely, feel good things, and all you listen to is the I have a dream speech, and you forget the fact that fucking you know Martin's speaking out about Vietnam and was heavily heavily leaning down socialism before he got assassinated. So, but so Lenin again, Leninism is pushing back against that concept. It says, no, you're not going to legislate it away. You're going to need a party. It's going to have to be organized again, like I said, completely around revolution. And if you're making any tactical concessions, and this is where it's again, it's important. You're not doctrinaire. You're, you're making tactical decisions. The NEP is a fucking tactical decision. We'll talk, you talk about it, but, but let's like in a modern era, like think, think of something like this, like a revolutionary party would absolutely want to pass Medicare for all. Why, why wouldn't it? Of course it would. It would because it makes revolution easier. If I pass Medicare for all, is that going to make my job of doing a revolution easier? Fuck yeah. If people don't have to worry about dying from medical debt, I have more time. They have more security to let them agitate. Um, if I pass heavier social safety nets, that is an absolutely tactical decision to make sure that people have the means to not be beholden to capital that they can survive and do these things. Right now, the way the system is designed, if I wanted to quit my job and just do this full time, I could not do it. I would die. I, I don't have that option. I wish I did. Oh, I shit. Don't. I wish somebody told me that um, before I quit. Uh, yeah, well, you, you're, our situations are mildly different. <laughs> but I feel like in your heart, you yeah. know you only have a couple years, right? I mean, that's the plan. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll you, you you'll be fine no big deal you're, you're good no but that's again that's the, so everything has to be targeted with the end goal of revolution in mind and that's again where you critique when we punch from the left it's always around that idea is hey is your is what you're doing going to further revolution at some point if you can't justify it under that means you're not part of the revolutionary party and right now we don't have one so trying to compare like aoc or bernie or anything like that that's not fair to them they're not part of a revolutionary vanguard that's not what they're trying to do we just need to push them because we can, and we need to form that party on our own because that's our job, not theirs. Who, real quick question: um, Who actually gets to determine yeah. if things are furthering revolution? Because I'm imagining, like, let's say that that it was my job, I definitely want to make sure that people were acting in a way that furthered revolution. So I might create like some sort of police force. I don't know what I'd name it. I'm going to go with NKVD. Just to make sure that people were not counter-revolutionary, and if they were, we'd have to re-educate them in, in some way. Does that Has that yep. ever happened? Yep. 
Uh, I think something like that has exactly happened. And yes, that is welcome uh, the fun the fun realm of critical support. Yes, this was. And again, the Soviet Union, you have these people that like take, again, like polar opposite stands where they were either all pure, all great, all knowing everything, or they are literally Hitler 2.0 with 5 billion dead. There's a fucking billboard I had to pass on the Yeah, but the, the cool last thing night. is you can actually stream your music off of Hitler 2.0, so it's not all bad. <laughs> that's actually, you know what? That's a good That's a good point. The short answer to your question, Rob, is no. There is, there's the Vanguard Party's job should be to do that. And Mao builds on that a little further and says, well, the Vanguard party needs to be more beholden to the people. You get the mass line. We're going to talk about that a little bit in on practice here in just a second. But yeah, it's a really unfair standard, uh, as you say, right? Capitalism fails over and over and over, and it's considered a blip. But we have a 75% peasant class that is 100% Slavic that is trying to do socialism while also beating the actual <laughs> Nazis. Like... The actual Nazis. Like, not, like, they had skulls and shit on their helmets. It was wild. It was real wild. <laughs> Hitler, the Hitler was there. The fact, the fact that they uh, accomplished as much as they did, you know, like you said, I think we're entering the realm of critical support. And that's exactly what it is. It's critical support. Does that mean that I am, I, that, no, the purges, Stalin said the purges went too far. Stalin said that got out of control. When they got into the Soviet archives, like, everyone was really excited to see, like, oh, my God, let's see what they really said about how they were trying to fuck the people. And everyone got real disappointed because it was just generally, like, their internal communications were all, yeah, we're trying to do communism really bad. Like, we really desperately want to make this work. How? Oh, fuck, the Americans are going to come kill us. That kind of sucks. Oh, shit, there's some Nazis over there. That's a problem. Oh, man, Mao's mad at us. Oh, dear. We've got some problems, guys. we got some things to solve. But it's not it's not malicious. But again, trying to decide what furthers the revolution, that's that's all of our job. That's everyone's job, and you've got to communicate it. We have the tools now to communicate that directly. You could have a fucking American Idol poll and decide what the fuck does this further the revolution? Text two four two nine to say yes. Like it's that simple. Yeah, the more more democratic input in the systems is probably the answer. Again, uh permanent revolution. Any more on this? Little bit more. Uh, so you're saying there, there's another piece to the Leninism by Stalin? There is. There is a little bit. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta, I will burn through the rest of this because I can do this at a pretty good clip. Rob, Rob taunted me with an NKVD reference, and then he baited me like a, like a Russian bear. How, da- how dare you? So the, o- the only bear I recognize uh, well. is oh fuck, I can't remember his name. The Polish bear. Remember him? Wojtek. Wojtek. Hell yeah, Brett. Do you literally not know this story? Oh. Okay, pause real quick. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, oh we're going to avoid tech the soldier bear. Uh, pause. So yeah. the Polish troops <laughs> are in the Middle East, and they see this bear, and they got fuck all to do because they've been the wrecked. In the Middle East? Well, because they were slaughtered, and, you know, the Holocaust was happening, and the Polish troops were, the Air Force went to the UK, where they were by far the most effective fighting force in the Battle of Britain, Like, they had the most aces, the most kills, because they're used to flying, like, literal school buses. And then they were given, like, Hawker Hurricanes and shit. (laughs) So they wrecked shit, right? And they also, because uh, Bomba was the precursor, it it was, the the Poles broke Enigma, and then Turing uh, took the Bomba design and created the first modern computer to break the naval code. So Polinardi did the Air Force and the Army. Now, there was a lot of good Army officers, believe it or not, in Poland. It's just that if you're going to fight the blitzkrieg in poland you are going to lose no matter how tactically brilliant you are Blitzkrieg's designed for where you are exactly uh it's almost like they knew they were going to do it from day one 
And so all this knowledge in the officer corps wanted to be preserved by the allies. And so there was Anders army was, was one of the groups. It was these Polish units that would just sort of deploy on this great exodus across the Mediterranean. And for a time they were in Syria and I think, I think they were in like Palestine for a while. They were all through that area, just doing what they can pitching in. And so Wojtek was just this bear that they're like, I'll trade you some vodka for him. And the, the local was like, yeah, why, why the, I can drink vodka. This bear is not doing shit for me really. So they, they brought him in and they got him drunk constantly. They taught him how to smoke cigarettes. Uh, they, they taught him the box. And because they got him when he was just a cub, uh, he imprinted on the Polish troops so much so that he was just a part of the unit. And eventually when they shipped off, uh, I believe it was Monte Cassino. I mean, you could look it up, but eventually they got deployed to Italy. And as they're loading onto the ship, the allied forces are like, you, you, I know it's world war two, but you can't bring a bear onto a troop ship. That's just not a good idea. You fucking bulls. Right. <laughs> and they're like, well, we are going to bring the bear. And they're like, no, you're not. This is for, actual infantry only and so they went okay good and they walked back to the camp and they registered Wojtek as infantry they, they <laughs> set him up as a soldier in the polish army and loaded him onto the ship and said what the fuck now and so now that he's actually a polish army member he deployed to italy with an artillery brigade and during the siege of i believe it was monte cassino uh Wojtek was so well ingrained that when it came to getting artillery shells to the loader from the depot, they didn't send a man. Wojtek would go pick it up and carry it to the artillery <laughs> and they would launch it. And he was playing fetch. Yeah, with mortar shells. it was, it was fucking amazing. amazing. That's incredible. Like he got a commendation across Europe and in Scotland, I believe as well. There's statues of Wojtek as a military hero in hearts of iron. There is actually an achievement where you can get the Wojtek artillery badge. <laughs> he, uh, I think he ended up in like Glasgow uh, Zoo for, uh, you know, after the war. And for years and years, Poles would show up and like thank him for his service and throw cigarettes over it and throw drinks because he knew how to smoke and drink from <laughs> hanging out with them. And he lived out the rest of his natural life happily, never speaking about the war again. That's a true story of the greatest Polish military hero. <laughs> That's fucking incredible. And yet we have a movie called War Horse, but nothing about Wojtek. Like that's that's proof of Slavic discrimination right there. Like that if there's not if that's not proof Here's positive, I don't Until know. Until we is. find someone that can do it right, don't make the Wojtek movie. Because I'm I'm very invested. <laughs> I feel about this how people feel about like the Joker movie. <laughs> this is the hill I will <laughs> die on. <laughs> uh, anyway at some point at some point yeah, we were talking I mean, about uh books so reluctantly we moved from at some point we, we were talking about syrian books. polish bears back to uh who are we talking about the second part of uh foundations of leninism second part of foundation and the, the real second part of foundation the part that i care about because it goes into like the peasant question because there's this big debate about whether the peasants are a revolutionary class or not and one yes they are and two kind of doesn't matter as much nowadays, especially if you're talking about it in like an American or Westernized context, because we don't really have a peasant class. We have a lump and proletariat. We have like a downtrodden, abused class of people. We don't really have a peasant mm. class. And again, unless you count um, 
I was going to try and make a Slav joke there, but we can go ahead and say it's just it's not. not you, you don't need to make Slav jokes when the, the state of Mississippi exists. <laughs> there you go. See, all right. I say the Irish are still around. So, eh. The Irish are still around. This was very, this is very funny because this is where we go to the national question. And the national question was this thing of, well, what the do you do about people that are like under colonialism or under imperialism? And there were two schools of thought on it. You had the second international again, Kautsky and his fuck fuck friends. Um, and they were really concerned about like ethnic groups, um, but only like westernized or European ethnic groups getting uncolonized. So like they were really worried about the Irish and the Serbs and the Poles being out from underneath imperialism. They wanted them, but they wanted it on like really specific circumstances. Like they only wanted this weird legal definition. Where it's like, well, as long as they can, you know, have a government and their own culture, that's like freedom. They don't, you know, you don't need to actually get rid of the imperialist power that's, that's oppressing them. You just need to give them some form of autonomy. And <laughs> Lenin was again, one of the first to go, fuck that shit. Everyone gets to self-determine. Everyone gets to do their own thing. Well, I wonder how that was implemented long-term for Poland. Yeah, not great. Not not great, not great. It uh, again, self criticism. Time to reflect. Uh, look, I'm gonna say something I might get canceled for, but Stalin, a little bit off the mark on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird that Le Stalin writes Foundations of Leninism, and that is kind of part of you know there there were some there were some misses. Um, again, no one is perfect. We don't we don't great man theory that. But again, Lenin was very focused on everyone being able to self determine that that no matter what, you have to support proletarian revolution so even if you're the first country to do it if you're russia and you hit so you hit socialism first well not everyone's going to hit it at the same time this concept of global universal all the time revolution is stupid trotsky um mm. and so everyone's going to get there based on their own material conditions at their own time but if you get there first it doesn't mean that you like turtle up and hide you go out and support everyone you go out and support vietnam when they tr when they want to decolonize you go out and support cuba when they want to decolonize you have to give material support to all these people which is when you should have given it to spain during the civil war so that they could decolonize mm -hmm. and then fight the nazis it's complicated but at the end of the day that's the foundations of leninism and that's what made leninism a distinct enough ideology that it's not marxism it's marxism leninism and then the next guy we're going to talk about dope okay so that's stalin's book that's stalin's little book stalin also for the record uh really uh great if you if you wanted to read theory but you want it to not be talked down to like an asshole stalin is a really is and it's because again he came from you know, very humble backgrounds, but he writes very concisely, very to the people and very much in a way that's really, really hyper understandable. Again, Stalin, much like our next person. Great writer, great leader. No questions. I, I, I have some questions, but let's go to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> next up, On Practice by oh, Mao. Finally, my boy. Chairman Mao, baby. And uh, On Practice is, it has a companion piece called On Contradiction. I had to cut somewhere, and that's one of the places I chose to cut um, because I really do think on practice is the more practical, no pun intended, version of this. Um, but this is all – Mao is, in my opinion, the best of the theory writers other than maybe – it's him and Lenin. It's really close. But Mao's really cool because Mao also is the best – pure philosopher of the group. He really did his damnedest to try and, like, reconcile – 
Eastern philosophy, Western philosophy, and dialectical materialism and make them a cohesive thing. He, he really, as someone that got a four-year philosophy degree and regrets it every day of my life, Mao, if, if they just fucking taught Mao, it would have made it worth it because it would have, it's the synthesis of all of this disparate thought. It's not like a, my theory is better than your theory. It's an everything comes together and makes a cohesive thing. And that's kind of what on practice is about. It's about this like balance that, you know, almost stereotypically gets talked about in Eastern philosophies. But he the biggest part about this book is that there are two different things and it's how do you balance them? It's theory and it's praxis. And you hear that all the fucking time. It's you have, oh, well, I'm I'm all about, you know, it's you have people on the left. It's all about the theory and then anarchists and some other leftists or it's all just do shit. Just go do it. Fuck your theory part. Just go do it. And that's not fair to anarchists. You have theory. Malatesta is really good. You've got some other guys out there that are good, but yeah, whatever. But the biggest thing about on practice is it, it says very basic stuff and it starts out it like baby steps you through. If there is one thing that I would say anyone listening to this could and should go read, it's on practice. It's like 10 pages long and it's really it, it builds an actual like philosophical foundation for knowledge. Wait, is this the infamous little and red does book? It, no, you fucking it you absolute dipshit. Wow. You 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 it, <laughs> The Little Red Book is longer than on practice. It's like a quote book. Uh, it's like aphorisms and like little clips of everything he did put together in a way that you could carry around and and read. I have it. It's awesome. But on practice is more his his grounding for how the fuck do you do? How do you know things? How do you know what you know? Um, it combines epistemology and empiricism and metaphysics. And, and it says you have to have both. You, you can't know it just on theory. You can't know it just on practice. And so he talks, he, he gives some specific examples like generals. Generals, if, you, if you're a brand new general, you're going to learn through failure at a certain level. You're not just going to come in and kick ass every single time, or you're not going to really learn anything. You're not going to, you're, you're going to have to at least learn from someone else's failure, but even then it's kind of theoretical and you're going to have to feel it out. And so you, you build on that and you build on that. He has lines in here like, if you want to change the atom, or if you want to talk, know the atom, you have to change the atom. If you want to know the pair, you have to change the pair by eating it. It's all this very common sense. Yeah, all right. So, so you know, he, he critiques the ivory tower. You know, you can't sit in the ivory tower and say you know everything about the world if you haven't experienced it. And that's really, like, intuitively, okay, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. I can jive with that. And then he swings it around and goes, and this is the exact same thing for revolution and politics. If you're not actually on the ground doing revolution, engaging in class struggle, trying to say that you're some authority on it is always going to come off hollow because the real lessons are learned on the ground and in the in the streets. And that's why Lenin was so valuable as a teacher, because he did it. And then he wrote about it. And then he theorized about it. And Mao took that. He took what they learned in the Russian Revolution and said, okay, I think some things didn't go quite right here. We're going to tweak this a little bit. And we're going to do this a little bit more based on our material conditions and your social with Chinese mm -hmm. characteristics. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And then – but then he also – you know, again, the they developed a mass line off of this. So everything the party does has to go back to the people. You, you theorize something and you go to the people and go, hey, does this make sense? What do you think about this? Does this meet your conditions or are we, are we just talking out our ass? Are we just thinking about a thing? It's, it's pure Nancy Pelosi. It's if you could fucking it, it, she has no concept anymore or probably never did for that matter of what actual fucking people need because she's so detached from the people she supposedly represents that she's meaningless. Mao, and this is being brought back. It, it went away under dangism. It's coming back under President Xi. 
they actively enforce this concept of you need to bring these things back to the people and have the people tell you what the right way forward is. That's again, where you get this radical democracy. And if your theory is not in line with the people, you're going to need to change your fucking theory. You're not just going to be able to tell them, well, this is what's best for you and you're going to do it. You're going to have to integrate what they're talking about and what they think and what they feel because you're not going to drag someone to socialism. They have to get there at the pace that they're ready for. And and this is not all encompassed on practice, but on practice was the best one I could get for Mao. So I'm trying to get as much Mao in there as I can. But again, on practice was mainly focused on the 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 balance between theory and practice. You can't have one or the other. They have to exist harmoniously. And those contradictions work themselves out. It's back to it's Mao's version of dialectical materialism. It's short, it's really easy to read. If you've never taken philosophy, it's really good. If you've taken philosophy, you'll kind of nod and go, oh, yeah, I knew that. I read about that that one time. Okay, cool. Oh, you made a really cool thesis of that. Good work, Mao. Clap, clap, clap. Um, and that's on practice. And a little bit more of this is maybe off topic, but uh, when President Xi implements mass line thinking, hearkening back to sort of Mao, uh, is that because currently in China, the people are overwhelmingly pushing for Tencent to uh, purchase streaming rights from the NBA for billions of dollars? Oh yeah! Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that's there. They took a national vote on that, and the ma- President Xi was not a fan of it. President Xi is more of a—he's not really a sports guy. He kind of likes his—you uh, know—he'd rather watch his esports. But but the mass line said we want the NBA, and and who is President Pooh Bear? What does that actually agree? mean, though? Like in, in implementation, like what what is the on the ground version of the mass line? How how do you actually pull that? Because last time I saw uh, President Xi was like in a Pope mobile, just waving slightly bored at, <laughs> at ICBMs. That doesn't seem like he's really man of the people. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and it's hard. Again, that's where you get, you get away from the whole goal should be that there shouldn't be one person doing it. President Xi is not unilaterally making decisions. There is a party that is doing it. And so you have to, especially in China, God, that I mean, it's massive. How do you fucking get input on that kind of stuff? And they're using, they're using the internet. They're using stuff like that to solicit feedback for things they want to do and and try and go there but the the if you want to talk about it in the theoretical you know because again this is not a matter of well president g's trying the mass line so his way must be the right way the way i the way mao theorizes it and the way i see it and the way i would want to interpret it would be you it, it is straight up look at your democracy on a very local level i have a national pol i am i am president g i have a policy that i am i i think makes sense and i think is going to be a good way forward i distill that down to the province or state level whatever that is and have them kind of talk about it amongst themselves and then they need to bring it down to their local counselors or their local aldermen or whatever you know more micro as you go down unit and every step of the way you need to be getting feedback. Hey, is this, does this meet your material conditions? Is this something that's going to make a difference for you? Yes or no. And why? Cause some things are going to be, you're going to need a bigger picture view of it. You're going to need a more holistic view. If it, you know, something's not going to directly affect you, but it's necessary for these hundred million people over here. Well, okay, well we might have to do something about that. Um, but as much as you can, your policy, your theory, your your praxis all needs to be something that can relate back to what the mass of the people want. What most of the people, if, if the people absolutely reject something, 
you cannot just be instituting policy against their will because you're not that it's completely counter to dictatorship of the proletariat. It's completely counter to the concept of socialism. If this isn't for the people, if the people don't agree with you, you're not making your case clearly enough or you're not your policy is not actually in their interest and they should have a vote in that. Right. They should have a say in what is and what is not in their own interest. And that was not a short answer to your question, no, so no. I apologize. I'm incapable no, that's, of giving that's them. No, that's fine. It turns out we still have to figure out socialism. So with that in mind, <laughs> next motherfucking book. La- that's it for now, because this is the last motherfucking book. <laughs> question for you. That is not to say- Before we get to the next one. Yeah. Did Ho Chi Minh write books? Um, Ho Chi Minh- Ho Chi Minh was much more of a, from what I understand, he did a lot more teaching other people's books than he did writing. Yeah, let me. I, I can answer this one um, as well. Here's the thing: pimps don't write books; they get books written about them. <laughs> <laughs> Final boss, let's go. Um, Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. What the uh, fuck is that? Wait, Fanon? Did Liv write this? I would say I knew Liv was a virtuoso, <laughs> but damn, she's really like fucking hitting it out of the park. Franz Fanon. Uh, fan, uh, you know, you, you know how dumb we are. I just we've... realized Liv probably picked that that last name for her account based on the book <laughs> that she read that we didn't. That's way more probable than it just uh, so happened. Yeah, so we basically we're just got dumb. the reference. Yeah, yeah that, you saw that in real time. A single neuron <laughs> making its way, sl- just one potassium charge across several synapses. <laughs> oh shit! Well. Uh, well then, we'll 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 get through the book and then see if it if it makes sense for for Liv's profile. Um, so Wretched of the Earth by Fanon. Fanon was and and this is the one I only I feel like I have to explain Fanon a little bit just because he's the only one that most people like have no idea who the fuck he was when you start talking about him. Um, he was an Algerian philosopher, and when I say philosopher, I mean psychologist because he absolutely wasn't a philosopher. I, I made that up right there because my brain's turned off because I shout out to Algeria for pumping out some good thinkers during this time period. They were really doing work. Fanon was in Algeria. He was there during the Algerian Revolution. Uh, Algeria was revolting against France because France really fucking loved having colonies. This was right after uh, the fall of Dien Ben Phu. So France was super fucking intent on holding on to Algeria come hell or high water. Yeah, yeah. So much so uh, Marie Le Pen's dad or grandpa, I'm not sure which one. I think it was her dad um, was involved in this revolution to a certain extent on the wrong side of it. On the, the super French side of it. I can't believe a Le Pen was on the wrong side of history. Unbelievable. Yeah, uh, yeah very much so. <laughs> it was very, it was super nice. I'd have to go back and find it. When we talked about it, when I did my intro episode to Fanon, we talked about it because uh, I found that dur- just during my research. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you, like, History should not be this linear. Like, It can't be that easy. But Wretched of the Earth is very, very – it is not for Western Europeans. Like – us, everyone, everyone on this call right now, this book's not written for us. It is for colonized people specifically. But it's really important to read, and specifically Sartre does a really good intro to it. Whether you like him or not, the intro is fucking good, where it basically says, look, fucking colonized people are, gonna, are going to uh, get what is coming to them. They are going to rise up. They are going to take back what is theirs. And you can either get on the right side of that, or you can stay on the wrong side of it, but it doesn't matter. It's going to happen regardless. But it's going to happen through violence. And, and Wretched of the Earth is... The book that says there is no rightful way to decolonize 
without violence. In any colonized situation, the idea that you that you should ask for permission or that you should do anything other than violently take back what is yours is is asinine. In the Algerian Revolution, again, this was written specifically about Algerian Revolution, but it is applicable everywhere. Haiti, um, Africa, any anyone that was trying to decolonize, uh, Sankara, all of these these revolutionaries. If you've been colonized, you were colonized by force. And you can only decolonize by force because your force is only ever going to match what they did. It's not like you're it's not like Algeria was going to chase the French back to Paris and try and fucking take Paris. No, they just wanted their own fucking country back so that they could self-determine what to do with it. And this is very, very important um, for Europeans to understand so that we shut the fuck up about colonized people and how they choose to decolonize. If you're sitting in the United States and you don't think Ecuador right this very second as we're recording this is doing a, a good thing with their various uh, revolution or their, their protests or whatever you say, it's kind of hard to comment on that because they are a co- if a colonized country is having to fight back against imperialism, the only way they're going to do that is through violence because it's all they have known. It is all they've been shown. If you have to get beat into submission, you're going to have to fight back to get there. And that restores Fanonigan as a psychologist was very big into how this restored your humanity. This is a very good book for any psychology, anyone who's really into psychology and not more into the philosophy or the, the theory part of it. This is a very good revolutionary book for you because he, he goes into the psychology of both sides. He he studied the French army. Jesus Christ, the French army. Uh, he was the he was stationed as a psychologist for them for a long time and was talking about what war crimes did to them. And then he had to meet with Algerians and talk about what war crimes did to them. And weirdly enough, he kind of decided, yes, war crimes are absolutely causing harm to the French people. I don't give a fuck. Get fucked. You're still wrong. I'm siding with the Algerians. Like, you had a choice whether or not to do that. You're enforcing that on a group of people that didn't have that agency, and you're making them less than human. They are going to revolt against you. still have a museum filled with skulls of Algerians and Muslims that they just killed over the years. It's just a museum of skulls. of colonized people. What's that? Are you talking about invalids? I think it's an invalids. That's fucking wild. I must have missed that wing. They don't show it off. They just have it stored. Okay. <laughs> they don't. They don't. Re- they don't return uh, them back to their home country. Nothing. They just store skulls from people they've murdered over the generations. It's cool. It's very cool. That that genocide was a, a true. I mean, it, they killed literally like I think a third of of the Algerian population. And by the end of it, it literally. And we're we're. This is the book we're doing right now. So I'm I'm kind of like three quarters of the way through. It's the one we're doing on the show right now. The part we just got through was when they had basically asked for. It was. We talked about this two weeks ago. Fanon was talking about uh, a general had basically asked, hey, I want to arm. We, we ha- It's our country. We have to keep it. We're hell or high water. It's ours, and, and the Algerians can't have it, but they're going to take it back. The Algerians were learning from the Vietnamese. They're the, the Vietnamese and the Algerians, in my opinion, are kind of the – and, Brett, I'd really be interested in your opinion on this one – The Kind of the the model of it does not matter whether superior force is being brought down upon you. If your mission, if your goal, if your unifying thing is national liberation, is to liberate myself, to free myself from a foreign invader, you can hold out forever, for literal ever. I mean, Vietnam, I mean, Algeria was facing down the French army, which at the time was coming. I mean, this is right after World War II. I mean, they were still a powerhouse or right after World War One, I, I apologize. It was like after Napoleon went down the second time. 
and Vietnam doing the same thing against America. Like these, the Fanon's kind of theory of national liberation is you will never break the spirit of a nation. You you can't you're you're just not going to do it with superior force. That war of attrition will always end on the other side winning. If you can effectively mobilize an entire country, get them all fighting on the same. So if you pull the Ho Chi Minh right, you get an entire country fighting. Yeah, with the same mission in mind, then yeah, you mm-hmm. especially if you've been living under colonialism so you've been living under constant violence ratcheting up the violence but knowing that it's for purpose yeah you can live under that for a lot longer than the fucking colonizers can which is really what matters you're you're you're, you're literally just it's just an attrition thing you're just outlasting until they can't afford to lose any more of their people in some country on the other end of the world whereas you can totally afford to keep fighting to make sure these fucking assholes leave your country. And that literal sentence right there is basically wretched of the earth in a nutshell. It is the explanation of how a colonized group will, if a colonized group is unified. And again, it always comes back to that whole socialism thing, because that is the unifying political and, and I, you know, ideological grounding that will get you to fight for that because the end goal is the betterment of everyone. And you can fight for that for a long time. When, when Jonathan Swift was talking about the Irish, he said that one cannot be logic out of something that one was not logic into in the first place. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. My big thing with uh, uh, leftist thought and theory is that, like, I see the value. I see why, like, it's good to have some grounding. But I am desperate for somebody to give me the fucking modern version of it. Right? To say, like, yeah. all right, well, let's talk about, like, how the fuck that look in America. Like, this is a very different situation. How the fuck? Are, how the fuck are yeah, we that's doing why I this? Tried to... When the like when they they know you're even talking to each other because they they can spy on you to that degree, they'll just drop yeah. bombs on you from a yeah. distance and you'll never even see anybody. Like how how do you do it now, right? Like uh, like to me that's because to me that is the fundamental question. So a lot of it is like this is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, like so I like hearing the Vanguard stuff. That does seem useful. The mouse stuff seems useful. Like my brain is more for like practical shit. Like okay, well the practical stuff sounds good. Like, I get the basic yeah. stuff, but, like, all right, sometimes I have fuck to do this shit now in this yeah. instance. In this, right. And that's where that's, that's kind of where it's, 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 <laughs> it sucks and it's hard because every one of these theories, every one of these theorists that we talked about, like, again, you know, Lenin, Lenin was writing right up. I mean, he didn't start writing his really, really revolutionary shit until about a year and a half before the revolution kicked off. And then the revolution happened. And then he wrote a little bit afterwards. Stalin, kind of same thing. Mao writing as the revolution happened. Not a lot. We don't read the guys that theorized and were wrong before the revolution because they're uh, they didn't they, it didn't happen. <laughs> so it's kind of like until the revolution kicks until the revolution actually kicks off, you don't know which theorician is going to have been right or wrong or not. And it kind of is is in the moment. And that's where, again, I think I think the concrete if, if you wanted a concrete practical thing and I, I 100% agree with you, not I'm good at theory. I'm not good at practical shit. I'm, I'm just wildly not great at it. So, like, I am I'm good on this side of it. And then if I can just kind of like yell loud enough that a couple people like hear the theory stuff and like, oh, OK, that's cool. We might ask you if we have a question. I'm good with that. As a as a quick summary, what I got out of this is if you want to read capital but want an easier version that's basically bread book if you read capital you probably don't need to read bread book absolutely uh the two best ones 
Well, the best one is Mal, which is what I thought going into this would be the case, and I was right yet again, and so that's why I don't need to read. Um, the old mandatory OT, the IWW's West Virginia chapter, is going to really love that. Hell yeah. <laughs> Shout, solidarity, uh, but, IWW. But it, but it, it appears Mal and Lennon are the easiest to approach for regular people. They have the tightest writing style, the most practical shit if you don't love philosophy and theory, which to me, that that's what I found appealing. So the Vanguard bit... And the practical bit for Mao both sounded really great and really interesting to me. And it was, I actually like, it was really interesting to hear about Fanon because I, I haven't heard of any colonial philosophers or theorists. So that, that's, uh, that was very new. I had no idea. That one was totally like, that's... no idea who the fuck that is, what was going on. So that was cool as fuck. So that was a good one as well. That's our goal with the show going forward. Our uh, our kind of mission right now is to not do any more uh, Western white guys. Um, Amen. We're working. <laughs> our next our next one is uh, our next book we're going to do after we get done with uh, Fanon is Red Skins, White Mask. Black Skin, White Masks was Fanon's other work. And uh, a indigenous American did uh, Red Skins, White Masks, which is like a psychology of colonized indigenous people in America. And then we're going to get into some more Pan-Africanists and some, because again, it's just, there's, there's, there's enough fucking white male voices out there and I'm one of them. And if we can put anything else on a platform. Yeah, that's, that's really goal. awesome that you're doing that. Cause God knows I fucking don't have the capacity for that. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to point out, um, anyone, if you listen to any of these and you're like, that's cool. I'd like to hear a far more concise or, well, I don't know, not maybe more concise, <laughs> but a far, uh, a, a more detailed version of that. Everyone we did today has either a Red Menace episode, which is Brett from Rev Left Radio and Allison do their theory show, which is kind of like my, very similar to my show, except they do everything in one like hour and a half episode as opposed to us spending two and a half hours on a chapter because we're masochists. Um, either my show did it or their show did it. So every one of these books you can find, except for Cap, except for Bread Book and Mutual Aid, because neither of us really fuck with anarchists all that much, but they're comrades and we like them. And if you really want to double dip, we both did on practice together on a crossover episode. So that's 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 you really do love to see it. <laughs> Nathan, what's the best book? Uh, State and Revolution, hands down. State and Revolution. To be clear, you didn't have to pick a theory book on that one. <laughs> no, I stand by it. The answer is State yeah. and Revolution. War of the Twins, because here's the thing: that's when Raceland goes from being a red mage to a black mage, and it's it's dope. <laughs> Sets up the whole rest of the world. Fucking fantasy globes, baby. Oh my god! Thank you guys for fucking letting no, me. No, thanks this. for I coming. Really oh, Jesus, it. no, this thank is... you for putting in all that work and effort and uh, teaching teaching us the basics of shit that I'm honestly not going to bother to read. So I really, really appreciate. Yeah, you. and and bringing it down. Damn. I mean, you talked about sort of the the orders of magnitude, right? That you're willing to spend hours on one chapter. That that Red Menace is, you know, they can squeeze a book down into an hour and a half, maybe two hours, right? Our audience, and this can't be emphasized enough, are just absolute dipshits. They're the dumbest, just most belligerent, just horrible human beings through and through. It's incredible that they even know how to work the device that they're listening to this on currently. So the fact that you were able to go one step lower uh, and, and sort of squeeze as much as you did into this is really, I think, genuinely admirable. And anyone who's like, already got their tweet all written out and ready to hit send just <laughs> bring it the fuck just realize this was the I context have... we put on him it, it, these are summaries you know these are uh, paraphrases and if you really want to uh, uh fight about this stuff um i don't know do it at 
Ten fuck hell holes. Yeah, on. I would just say, if you want to fight because someone's trying to summarize theory for idiots, then you have no idea what the fuck you're doing because that's the whole point. If you can't teach idiots the theory, then the theory is not worthwhile to begin with. Yeah, I mean, look, if Amen. Ho Chi Minh didn't educate a bunch of uh, theory professors and DSA North Brooklyn members, right? Like, on balance, the earth is mostly filled with dumbasses, so you're going to have to find a way to communicate with them whether you like it or not. And I think uh, definitively that's what Mark's Madness did on this podcast uh, tonight. So thank you truly for coming on. It was an absolute yeah, pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, come to the Discord and chat. Uh, it's the it's oh, yeah. also the de facto Mark's Madness <laughs> Discord. At Seems this point. like a mistake, but you know what? That yes. happens sometimes. This is what we're working with. It is by the, and, and for the record, it is the de facto Mark's Madness Discord. It is also the de facto Mark's Madness Patreon. If you guys are gonna, if you guys are like listening and like, I'd like to give Mark's Madness money. We don't have one. Just give it to these guys for the love oh. of God. Just let them keep making content because it's way it's more entertaining a, and it keeps Patreon.com/slash/dumb and awful and. Yes, we we do haven't that. paid Nathan for this, but we probably let, let, let's uh, let's not go and give people all this good information, and then in the last thirty seconds make them severely question your judgment, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh shit! Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on again. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, yeah. have a good one, y'all. Thank you. As Camus would say, uh, bye.